Great. Excellent. Good call, Kelly. I didn't think of that. Way to go. It's time for Legal Tuesday. Questions that will come from you. Listen to what Ryan has to say so that you don't get screwed. Counselor, uh... Counselor, can you tell me the band, the name of the band that did that original song? No. I have no idea. The name of the real song is Goodbye Ruby Tuesday. Yeah, oh, Ruby Tuesday. Ruby Tuesday. Ruby Tuesday. Yes. Like the restaurant. Yes. Okay. Not, nothing like the restaurant. <laughs> nothing like, like the restaurant. It's a totally different song. <laughs> okay. Actually. They don't, this band does not have fried green beans. That's cool. Uh-huh. I like fried green beans. All right. The Rolling Blanks. The Rolling Blanks. Stones? Ha. Look at you. You're a rocker. Look at that. Stones. <laughs> wow. Stones? Like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter as long listen, as you know the law. I was so close. Yeah, you were close. I was, listen, there are certain things that are in my wheelhouse, and music is not. Uh, I'm so sorry. No, it's okay, dude. It's part of what I love about you. You're my most innocent friend. I was uh, afraid yeah. you were going to ask. There was. I can't even. I can't even tell you what the opening group was. I. I switched gonna, it up today. I used totally a different did. one. I wasn't sure. So were you a lifeguard at Hampton Beach? You. I guess you weren't talking music with your friends. Yeah. No, no, I wasn't talking music. <laughs> I wasn't talking music. When you're having conversations with people. Music comes up. Do, do people just kind of imbe- walk away? Yeah, yeah. So like, he knows like, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> like, he knows nothing. Have no. you gone to any shows this summer? No, no, I no. haven't. I went to that show last year where the guy yeah. came out in the, in the concert into the crowd, but I haven't been one this year. <laughs> that was a good sell. You've missed that some was, really good. I went that uh, show where the, the guy, guy walked right, out in the crowd. Yeah. I can't think of the guy's name. Michael Fronte. That's the guy. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's it, the guy. You know that happens a lot at some shows. <laughs> Listen, it's crazy. They come it, out and they sing numbers. It was exciting. <laughs> he did a number. And All right. Went home. All right. Here we go. All right. So All here's day. our next question. Okay. Uh, uh, this guy looks forward to the segment. Every okay. Week, every month, and uh, given the Fourth Amendment rights by the Constitution, uh, he has a question about understanding the. Uh, it, he's got a question about the stop and ID uh, thing in the state, right? Yep. Uh, understanding that post arrest is different than say checkpoints uh, of detainment for suspicious activity. Seeing suspicious activity is neither a misdemeanor or a fel- felony; simply a judgment call. Uh, is there a, a legislation forthcoming to end New Hampshire's? Being a stop and ID state. You know, I'm not aware of any particular bills that are in the legislature now, but it, that is a piece that has always troubled me because, as you know, there's a standard of reasonable suspicion, which is less than probable cause. So, you know, I'm always, you know, kind of concerned about the nature of how some of these, if you will, detentions begin. So it would be great to see something in the legislature about that, but I'm not the, aware of any pending legislation. The initial question is given the Fourth Amendment rights by the Constitution, <clears throat> does that trump New Hampshire state law? Being no, a stop no. what's interesting about the New Hampshire Constitution is that we give greater rights to individuals in terms of their right to, uh, for search and seizures. Mm-hmm. So we, I would always start with the New Hampshire analysis because we afford greater protections to our citizens, which is a wonderful thing. In mm-hmm. fact, most state constitutions do great, greater protection than the federal Fourth Amendment. All right, Scotty. Everybody says something different. And it varies everywhere. What is the law concerning pot in New Hampshire? How much can you legally carry and how much before it goes from being a fine to some serious charges? Okay, so let me just say something about the statute. One of the things that people need to understand is that when it comes to weight, when it comes to possession, when it comes to possession with intent to distribute, 
These are all specifically fact-based scenarios. So what I would tell you is this. You need to obtain a copy of the statute. You need to read that statute. And you need to know exactly what you have in possession of. And when I say that, what I'm specifically saying is that you don't want to be in possession of amounts that are greater than what the statute provides. You don't want to be in possession of substances that are not covered by the statute. And you also need to understand that in New Hampshire, there are limitations to what possession actually means. So if you're traveling from Maine, for example, and I know we have listeners in Maine, we have listeners in Vermont, we have listeners in Massachusetts, the laws in your state are completely different than ours. There are 16 miles of Interstate 95 between Massachusetts and Maine and New Hampshire. What you need to know is that if you are legally in possession within your home state, whether it's Maine or Mass, and you are driving through our state and you violate our statute, you are just as guilty as if you had committed any other crime. So I would say to the public... It is incredibly important that if you are, in fact, in possession of this substance, that you know what you're in possession of, how much you're in possession of, and how it is that you're transporting it and where you're transporting it from and to. Do you think we'll ever see the day when it's just uniform? <clears throat> I do. Yeah. I think that social mores are changing here. Oh, I agree. Across the country. And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, it's a question of, of, of individual belief. But what I'm seeing across the entire United States is that people are stepping back from the criminalization of marijuana. Mm -hmm. And what I can tell you is that one of the most pervasive drugs in this country is alcohol. It's been legal for forever. We tried prohibition. It didn't work. We've tried prohibition uh, of marijuana. It's not working. And so I think you're seeing that evolution coming full circle here uh, on the substance and the question of marijuana. In the state of New Hampshire, they got they got uh, the state liquor stores right on the highway. I think the dispensary is going to go right next to them. It, a it big, giant dispensary to control you something. that, it, too. It wouldn't surprise me that in time, if you saw that sort of thing happening, because it's a tax generation uh, uh, mm -hmm. opportunity for the state, and it's something that should be examined very closely. Here's a guy getting divorced. His wife is working on negotiating everything away from him. He says, I was told that when she receives her inheritance from her parents, even after I'm divorced, I'm entitled to half of that. Is that there, correct? You know, it's an interesting question. In fact, that was a case that was actually out of my office. The individual had been divorced after the decree had been issued, and the Supreme Court in New Hampshire had indicated that because the decree had been entered at that point that the inheritance was not considered a part of that particular divorce decree. Again, though, I would tell you that a fact-by-fact fact or case-by-case case analysis is important because if it's something that you negotiate within the context of your settlement, that could be, in fact, applied to uh, what you would ultimately get or have to give. My daughter recently got arrested at a concert for public intoxication, and she is underage. What are the consequences for this? This happens a lot in the summer in concerts. It does. And so, you know, I will tell you that there's a friend of mine up, up in the Lakes region, and uh, I can't think of the, the venue up there that is near the Lake Winnipesaukee. Mm -hmm. but Lake New Hampshire. I, I, I will it. tell you that there is a tremendous amount of underage drinking that's going on out there. One of the first things I will tell you is that it's your, your daughter would be subject to a fine. Um, there would be to a, be fair, it's, it, there's not a concert a venue where that isn't happening. If there's an outdoor yeah. parking, oh, I just I'm want sure. to be fair. No, no, not, right. no okay. it's yeah. not just that one. Right. Let, let right. me be absolutely clear about yeah. that. And if there was any insinuation that it was just there, I want to be clear that, that I'm sure happens right. everywhere. But um, you know, I just have been talking with my colleague about how it's it's just you know it goes on all over the place. So my point is that you're going to be facing a fine. There'll be a blemish on a record. It's typically brought as a civil infraction, considered a violation. Although some departments do and can bring it as a Class B misdemeanor, depending upon the severity of the offense. She, if she's under 20, she's going under 21, she's going to be subject to a motor vehicle hearing. And parents, you need to hear this. And, and anybody who's under 20 who thinks that they're going to get away with drinking underage, New Hampshire, even if you're not in a motor vehicle, you'll be subject to a motor vehicle hearing. Hmm. 
if you are in possession of alcohol or drugs and you face the possibility of losing your license for 90 days and up to the time you turn 21. So if you value your freedom in terms of getting around without your parents carting you around, think twice about engaging in that nefarious activity. Uh, I signed a retainer with a large law firm so they would represent me in a lawsuit against a company. I'm going to leave the name out. Sure, for good whatever, idea. Yeah. Uh, regarding uh, exposure cases that dealt with health issues. It's been years, and this this law firm has taken zero action. I questioned them a little while back and still no action. I've sent them all the permission they've asked for so they can access my medical records, et cetera. What can I do? I almost feel like they're working against me at this point. Well, I would say to you that one of the most important things that a lawyer and client have have to have is trust. And in the absence of that trust, then the relationship, no matter how much money you put on retainer with them, is going to be a value of zero. So what I would do is have a conversation with them, as I've said earlier in this, in this program, about really what your expectations are. <clears throat> and then have uh, an understanding, whether it's committed to writing in terms of what they're going to do. And if you can't come to a point where you trust your lawyer anymore, then I would strongly consider you having someone else represent you. The uh, This is interesting. A friend of mine was recently sentenced to six months minimum security prison for drug charges. The judge recommended a, a prison fairly close to uh, this state. He finally got a letter telling him to report to USP Hazleton in West Virginia to the shock of everyone. Is there a requirement to how far they can send you? It's almost like they didn't even take the judge's recommendation into consideration. Could this be a mistake? Well, I mean, the Bureau of Prisons is the folks that are responsible for these sentence, uh, for where the sentence is ultimately determined. And while I understand in certain circumstances the courts can make recommendations, I believe that it falls within their exclusive province. I would have a conversation with your, your federal lawyer about if there's any possibility of, of a notice of reprisal to the court to see if anything could be changed. But I, I do believe that the Bureau of Prisons does have that authority to make that decision. I was pulled over for speeding in my own town on a very hilly road. Ah, oh, I the old I was, hilly road. Uh, it was the hilly road. It was a hilly road. I was clocked hilly by radar going 46 and a 30, but when the officer physically saw me, I was going under 40. Should I contest it or uh, and take my chances or just do the easier thing to pay it off and make it go away? Well, here's the thing. If you were to take the latter approach, you're going to have some points assigned to your license, your possibility of your insurance premium going up. So the initial ticket cost is going to perhaps go beyond just that initial outlay of cash. It doesn't hurt to have a conversation with the prosecutor about the case. You can go to a, what's called a pretrial conference and ask them if there's any way that they could perhaps knock the ticket down to a lower speeding level. Or if you want to do actually pursue it in trial, the state does have the burden of proof. It is their responsibility to prove the case beyond a reasonable doubt. And one of the interesting things about hilly terrain is that at this point, as far as I know, radar typically operates in a straight line. They, there is terrain following radar, but that's really for military use. And so I'd be curious to see how it is that they were able to obtain a radar reading over a if the topography wasn't straight and there wasn't a clear line of sight for between you and the vehicle. Okay. Certainly food for thought, but again, your time is valuable. <laughs> if an eviction notice... But it was really hilly. Really hilly. <laughs> <laughs> I've tried that. Dude, I was coming down the hill. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. See you in well, court. Coming yeah. down the hill, there you go. a straight line no, of you always get, I got yeah. stuck. I got pulled over for going through a red light, but it was, there was a box truck in front of me. And you couldn't see the red couldn't light. Couldn't see the red light. So, I yeah. mean, I didn't get the ticket, but right. I felt so bad. I'm like, I didn't mean What it. were you wearing? Mm. All right. I'm sure that the integrity of the officer was not no. even close to being subjected to <laughs> uh -huh. the proclivities uh -huh. of your... There was a big truck in front of me. Stop All right, it. Easy now. Okay. If an eviction notice has... I ain't saying nothing. Yeah. Go ahead, Laura. If an eviction notice has expired and the tenant is still living in the apartment, can I do another notice 
can I do another notice to quit for non-payment of rent? Yeah, and you, can I demand the entire month or just the days that are late? You need to file the, under the statute. There are specific rules about how a 540A eviction must take place. And so, unfortunately, I want to know a little bit more about that particular question. And if the emailer wants to write to me directly, I can get them a more specific answer because landlord-tenant is a very specific uh, operation for which the court follows very closely in terms of evictions. And so if you make any sort of error in terms of calculation of days or calculation of what is owed, you can have your case actually bounced. And let me also just mention something, okay? Uh, the one thing I appreciate about uh, Attorney Russman, Ryan, Rye Guy, that's what we call him. Anyway, uh, Rybo, we got a bunch of names okay. for him. But uh, is it, if, if, he doesn't, if he doesn't know the full things of the, the question, the details of the question, sometimes it would be bad form to give an answer. You know, and when you ask a question, like for instance, you know, the uh, if the, there's a question that uh, you really the, you can't really answer because it's so broad. Specifics are key when it comes right. to this. He's not going to give uh, information based on an assumption. He can't. That's irresponsible. Right. Generally so, speaking, it's important to you know guide people to the right answer. Yeah, and, and not just generally. I think the details are important, which is why I, I say to folks, if you have any questions like this, you know. Have a conversation. Sit down with a lawyer. Many of us offer free consultations, and we're happy to, you know, get you the answers that you need. And sometimes it costs money, and sometimes we can, you know, answer quickly. And it, there's a very little cost. So it's it, it depends. This one, de the next question, deals with fishing. Uh, I love fishing. Which is is uh, I never thought of this really. If you go to a lake and uh, there's private property signs and people can own the shoreline. Is it the same thing with the ocean? Because uh, a, a guy's questioning, saying, I, I'm seeing a lot of private property signs posted near the shoreline. Is it possible <clears> to <throat> own the land all the way up to the water's edge? Am I breaking any laws if I'm fishing on private property? Well, I well, think you are. But uh, what I, if they're in the surf? So the interesting issue with respect to the ocean is that the it's public property to the median high, uh, high tide watermark. So to get... Over to that, you may not be able to cross other people's private property. But if you had a public access point and you were, say, at low tide and you were to walk down the the stretch of, of a beach, so long as you are on the water side of the median high tide watermark, you are considered to be in a public accessible area. It's when you are on the sand above that line, closer to the property, that that property owner has certain rights to So you get a really high point. tide, you probably don't have any space. <clears throat> In fact, you probably, you wouldn't. You would have almost no space. Nice so, job, Kelly. Excellent point. Nice job, buddy. So uh, let's, say a guy, right. let's say a guy uh, gets a $50 parking ticket, and he's, he's driving, and there's a parking space open, and it says reserved parking. And he thinks, oh, my God, it's reserved for me. And he parks there. And then he gets a $50 uh, uh, parking ticket for that. Can you help get him out of it? I'm but, just wondering. A but friend, then he asked. A friend, um, actually. He offered to buy her reserve. ice cream. Yeah. And then... <laughs> Well, I mean, ice cream is important, and on a hot day, depending. And again, this is why the facts are important. I the was specifics. being nice. I mean, he was being nice. You know, so when, he thought that the spot was reserved for him. Well, he just said that's reserved. what he says. It said reserved. How do I know it's not reserved for me or for the person that's asking the question? I mean, I, it's hard to know. When you come up and you say, uh, and there you, you're in the process, they're in the process of writing the ticket, and you confront them. Not a good idea. We, that's when everything goes south, right? Shocking. But really, but, but you happen. take the nice approach, and you say, I'm just assuming this is what my friend told me, and you say, is it too late? And, and they, they say, say yes. yes, and I say, or they say. 
Okay. Oh, there we go. Uh, it's, 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 it's my fault. I'm going to go get an ice cream. I'm going to go get an ice cream. You own the spot. Because what are they going to do? Give me a double yeah. ticket? Well, they could. And in fact, if they could pay you for a double overtime. So if they come by, they write you a ticket, and they come back around the next time, and they could give oh, yeah, you another Oh, yeah, no, this ticket. was like the, the ice cream shop was yeah. right there. If you, you, so you, how do you know the ice cream you, shop was right there? In my there. opinion, you bought the spot. I was told. Uh, and right, I bought the I spot. I think that's what they but, thought, too. But then I said, would you like an ice cream? <laughs> Yeah, see, that's not so good because then you know some Ribery. people might consider no, that no, as, no. as an attempt. The ticket was already being written. I, uh, I owned no. it. It's my fault. I parked in the bad spot. I was just looking at something real quick and I got bagged. Oh. I accept. No, no, no. Taking pictures. I accept responsibility for it. But I know how badly parking attendants get treated. Yeah, wicked. And awful. I wasn't that way at all. I was like, okay, my fault. I'm sorry. Would you like an ice cream? That. Why is that bad? It's not bad. I mean, I would tell you, though, that there are certain departments that you can't buy coffee. Like we see, a, yeah. a, you know, I, I, there's colleagues of mine. I know they're policemen. I'll see them out on a detail on a cold day. Yeah. And I want to bring them a coffee or a hot chocolate. And they're like, yeah, we can't accept that. And the department has these rules. Yeah. There may be similar provisions within the, the parking community. I just don't know. Yeah, they said no. Uh, all right, quick question. Wait, I, what, I have one more. What is the difference between assault and... And aggravated assault. Is aggravated assault when you're just aggravated and pissed off? No, but it's, it's, the, it's the gravity of which the assault may have taken place. So, for example, aggravated assault is something, and it's a term of art, not necessarily used here in New Hampshire. I know that Massachusetts has a, has a statute like that where uh, if there's a weapon used or if it's done in certain circumstances, there may be, if you will, aggravating or exacerbating factors which would elevate the nature of the offense. So I punch Scotty in the face. That would That's be simple assault. Okay. But if you so, whacked him with a baseball bat, that would be, you know... Like seven, eight times. Uh, reckless conduct okay. or, if but, you will, felony level. So, But if I punch him in the face and then I grab his hair and I knee him in the forehead like five <clears> times <throat> and then I hold onto his hair and I bang his head against a brick wall... It would depend on the nature of the injuries that he sustained. So if he, okay. didn't, if he sustained serious bodily injury, then that would, of course, elevate the, the nature of the offense. Well, well, I don't even think he can lift his leg up. Really? Okay, I'm not going to go yeah, there. You want to find out? Gonna, okay. All right. Here we go. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, go is, adultery still, <laughs> is adultery still legal grounds for divorce in New Hampshire? I recently learned that the out-of-state work trip my spouse went on was not work-related. I'm unsure if I should proceed that way or on the grounds of irreconcil- irreconcilable differences. So uh, in New Hampshire, you can still we still have fault grounds. I will tell you that most courts, uh, even with a fault ground like that, uh, there's very little difference in terms of the outcome of the case. Uh, my suggestion is if there are children involved is to try and obtain a settlement as quickly and without as much conflict as you possibly can. Um, I realize that the circumstances might, you might personally feel that there's a need to bring a particular fault ground like that, but at the end of the day, it's been my understanding that there's very little difference to the outcome of the case based on that sort of fault ground. Hmm. What can one person do? I know we gotta wrap up here, but sure. is there so a way I- when you get a, a, a fine, let's say a traffic fine, speeding, whatever, uh, do you have recourse to get the fine reduced because maybe you just can't afford it? In fact, what you can do is go to the court and fill out a financial affidavit. And what will happen is that once the fine is imposed, the court in New Hampshire will assess a $25 fee, which doesn't make sense if you can't afford to pay it all at once, but that's how they do it in terms of collection. And in certain circumstances, they will come up with a payment plan. But I will tell you that for all the clerks that are listening and, and all the judges that are listening, fines are due in full the day of sentencing. So don't come with the idea that you're going to come out there and pay a $25 fee and get a payment plan. The reality is that if you know that a fine is coming, you have to have it prepared to be able to pay in full. I realize that there are certain individuals that may not be able to do that, and for those certain circumstances, there are 
if you will, exceptions made, but the reality is come with your fine money and come being prepared to pay it. That right there is a direct result mm-hmm. of the counselor being on the show and walking into the courtroom later that day and then having someone going, hey, here's what you need to tell them. <laughs> That's it's, what that is. It's true. <laughs> and let me tell you something. You know, the, you, you can say what you want. The judges, it's the judge's courtroom, but the clerks run the show. Yeah. There so, you go. And anyway, that's there you go. that's the news for the day. Yeah, see, that was one of the things when he came on the show, he quickly found out that a few people listened. Oh my god. <laughs> so like yes. five, five or six, seven, eight people listened, which is nice. I was, nice problem to have.